Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we delve into Europe in a bit more detail following a tumultuous start to the year for the region's equity markets, with Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, Ian Aylward, Head of Manager Selection and Responsible Investing, and Sean Markovitz, Senior Investment Strategist. Welcome to another edition of Word on the Street, where we try and find a little signal for investors in amongst the white noise of the daily news life. This week, we're going to delve into Europe a bit more, following kind of a really good start to the year for the region's equity markets. Why has it happened? Can it continue? Where should I focus? And all those questions and more I'll be getting to the bottom of with Ian and Sean. So first up, Sean, can you give us the latest from the world, if you can? Sure. So this week in markets was relatively eventful. Uh, we saw that U.S. debt ceiling negotiations stalled as Democrats and Republicans struggled to reach an agreement. And this marked a shift in tone versus last week, which was a bit more positive. So this week, equity sold off on that news. But I think what stood out to me the most was the aggressive climb in U.S. bond yields. Investors are now starting to reconsider the prospect of additional tightening in Federal Reserve policy rates after a number of officials have vocalized that this is a possibility, given how stubbornly slow inflation has come down and also how growth has continued to defy expectations of a recession. And then in Europe, we actually learned that the manufacturing sector continued to contract. And that was according to survey data, especially in Germany, where the economy turned out to be in recession for the last two quarters of data after there were revisions downwards. And the euro traded lower on that news, suggesting that investors are growing a bit more worried about the outlook there. And here in the UK, the biggest news of the week was that core inflation, which strips out food and energy, further accelerated uh, more than um, the consensus was expecting. And UK bond markets sold off quite aggressively on the news. Uh, investors are now expecting an additional two more hikes from the Bank of England for a total of four more increases or a total of 1% in uh, rate increases. And that would put rates higher than the U.S. at 5.5%. Um, and the pound rallied on that news, um, increasing uh, initially, but that ended up selling off as stagflationary fears of high inflation and low growth dominated. And then that's what's been happening in the economic data and price action space. But if we look at equity sector performance, I think it's also interesting to note that cyclical stocks, those such as banks and energy companies, have continued to grind lower and underperform their defensive counterparts, particularly in Europe after that recent survey data I spoke about was negative. And that's meant that value companies, which tend to be more cyclical, have also underperformed their growth counterparts, which tend to be more secular and expensive. Okay, that's really interesting. Thank you, Sean. Um, now, I'll bring in an expert who happens to be agnostic on whether a fund is growth, value, or actually whatever style you want to be, um, just as long as it's extremely high quality and passes through all the rigorous tests that his team put it through. So, welcome, Ian. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on European equities. What is the story from your perspective? Yeah, hi, Sarah. Hi, hi Sean. Hi, all. Um, it's actually perhaps a surprisingly upbeat story from my perspective, Sarah. Um, so, what we like to hear? 
I've probably, you know, now I ought to explain you know, what I mean by that. And I think that's because investors came into this year somewhat fearful. Obviously, there was an ongoing war in the Far East of Europe. There were concerns about a global recession. There was little sign of a peak in inflation and there were worries over energy prices given the sanctions on Russia. And yet, actually, many of those concerns have not come to pass. For example, the war in Ukraine did not escalate further, or at least not yet. Let's hope it stays that way. And many commentators now talk of the peak of inflation and therefore interest rates being near. Moving on to the technicals, European equities have been underowned for some time. And in stark contrast to, say, US equities, have actually seen net inflows this year to date. Furthermore, to the end of April, European equities was the strongest major performing region so far this year. Perhaps this reflects the fact that the European market is perceived as being better able to cope with rising interest rates than other regions. Now, why might that be? Well, it's possibly due to the market's comparatively heavy weightings in the likes of commodities and banks. And indeed, because those European banks are more strictly regulated and in better shape than mid-tier banks elsewhere, like in the US. Obviously, I have to say that's Credit Suisse notwithstanding, of course. Also, the re-emergence of Chinese growth is a positive too, because a large number of European stocks are either industrial firms or firms that make luxury goods and export considerable volumes to that part of the world. Also, I think it is really important to remember that the European winter turned out to be milder than expected, which was also a positive for the European economy and companies, as the oil and gas prices didn't remain as elevated as feared. Our Barclays Fund, that focuses on European equities, that's excluding the UK, has a balanced blend of three managers, and that's to ensure diversification across both styles and sectors. And if I look at that fund, to pick just three areas in particular, three notable areas, for example, we have one manager that's overweight the energy sector, one manager's overweight the financial sector, and another is overweight IT names, so real diversification there. Okay, interesting. Thank you, Ian. Um, Sean, I want to finish off with you. Tell me what you see around the outlook for the European economy. Well, from our perspective, growth is starting to show signs of weakening after the unexpected fall in energy prices last year, which provided a bit of a tailwind for growth going into this year. We're seeing divergence between the service sector and the manufacturing sector in the Eurozone. Manufacturing is contracting while services continues to accelerate. Much of that reflects the aftermath of the kind of pandemic disruption where, you know, a lot of the manufacturing boom was brought forward because everyone was unable to purchase services, but now we're seeing the reverse of that. So there's still probably some way to go for the services expansion, but I would question how sustainable that is given the lagged effects of tighter policy and also the fact that the manufacturing sector, which is the most cyclical and tends to lead the service sector, is starting to lose economic momentum. As for what that means for policy, well, services are continuing to see increased demand, particularly in the leisure um, uh, sector, food, and that's putting upside pressure on wage growth and core eurozone inflation, something which the ECB doesn't really want to see continue, and which 
will lead them to consider you know, further rate hikes if it doesn't decelerate. Our view, though, is that the stickier inflation outlook that I described is already fully priced by markets. So we're forward-looking in that sense. The ECB is expected to hike two more times and end in the summer. And that would put the ECB deposit rate at just below 4%. And if we look at their estimate of where the neutral rate is, the rate that either stimulates or restricts growth, that's somewhere around 1% to 2%. So that would look pretty restrictive from our perspective. So I don't think the risks are skewed the upside for policy anymore. And at the same time, if we look at rates compared to the US, very little easing is actually priced into the Eurozone. So if you think that a US recession is on the horizon, it would be odd that the Eurozone doesn't get dragged into it, given how correlated their economic cycles are. And in a scenario where your Euro rate cuts start to become more priced in, and we have the lagged effects of tightening starting to show up in growth, which I've just described, we may start to be seeing now in that scenario, there's potential, I think, for the euro to weaken. Okay, interesting. Thank you, Sean. I'm just trying to work out, should I go on holiday in the eurozone this summer or not? Well, maybe you'll be able to get more bang for your buck with that cheaper euro. Excellent. Okay, well, then I think you've, you've helped me with my summer plans. So thank you very much, Sean. And thank you, Ian, for joining us today. And thank you to all our listeners. Look forward to joining you all again soon for another Word on the Straits. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.